It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to reliving the war live and exclusive on the gray wolf entertainment network happy new year if you're listening to this in 2023 and if we've just managed to sneak this in before 2022 ends looking forward to the new year and hope you've had a good christmas but my name is nims is joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler simon we have come to the end of 1998 for the wwf we were kind of critical about WCW, and I felt rightly so, but it looks like the WWF, well, they, let's just say that they don't go out of 1998 with a bang. No, I was going to say this pay-per-view is uh, aptly titled Rock Bottom because I think in terms of pay-per-view quality, unfortunately, the WWE did hit rock bottom for their standards on this night. I don't know what was up with this show, but it's interesting that you thought the same. I was and I was thinking as I'm sort of watching through this pay per view, and we'll get into it a little bit. Like I can't think of a bad WWE pay per view in 1998. Like it starts off like going from the Rumble onwards, it is just banger after banger after banger, and the company changes so much. Considering even Degeneration X in your house, the last pay per view of 1997, I reckon started that ball rolling after the events of Survivor Series. And yeah, this was just very strange, but let's get straight into it, actually. So The Rock, it starts off good. I reckon it starts off with a bang. And it's one of those things, too, where how much of this pay-per-view do you remember from back in the day before you even saw this one? Here's the thing. Um, I've mentioned how, you know, the video store I used to go to, Video Easy in Fairfield, had every pay-per-view on video that ever existed for the WWE. This is the one pay-per-view they never did. I never watched go. this. I never saw this show in full. Now I know why the stock guy at that video store in December of 98, when he had the option of ordering Rock Bottom or the best of WWF Raw 1998, why he went for the compilation. Because <laughs> that I've seen a few times. Whereas this, uh, glad I didn't. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually do remember bits and pieces of this pay-per-view, but I can't think of how. I remembered watching it because the WWF wasn't on pay-per-view in Australia until 2000. Hmm. Aside from Survivor Series uh, on Channel 10, they weren't being pay-per-views weren't shown on network TV. So unless it was highlights packages, because there's things like this intro is very iconic to me. I remember it very, very easily. So I can't remember if it's maybe I went to a cousin's house and he somehow managed to get a tape of it, except like a bits and pieces tapes where it was only like an hour long or something. So it's a really weird one because there's so much of this paper that jumps out to me. Or maybe it was on like one of those like WWF action best of 98 or something <laughs> like that. 
I, I, so it's a weird one to watch, but we'll start off with it because this is one of the bits that I remember vividly from a child um, when The Rock introduces the pay-per-view from Planet Hollywood. I remember thinking it was one of the coolest things ever because The Rock was like, you know, welcome to The Rock's pay-per-view, Rock Bottom. From now on, all the Rock's pay-per-view, all the pay-per-views are going to be called In The Rock's House. We've got Rock Bottom. We've got Rock Solid. We've got Rock and Roll. And then laying the SmackDown. Like, that was one of the coolest intros I've ever seen to a pay-per-view. Yeah, this was really cool. And it was a cold open, too. We should explain. This even came up before the WWF Attitude Signature and before the opening package. The Rock in Planet Hollywood. Amazing promo because he's walking while doing it through all the, the fans. And they all love him. They're all cheering him. Like, he knew The Rock was a superstar. WWE did such a great job of turning him into the main guy really quickly. Uh, And you know what? He was kind of close when he said there's going to be a show called Lay in the Smackdown. (laughs) Close enough. It pretty much happened. I I think we can take that as a win. But before we move on, had you seen that that little uh, promo from The Rock before? Never. I'd never seen it. So to me, that was one of the highlights of the show. I was excited to start this one. See, now, if you said that you'd seen that before, I could have at least like tried to narrow down, like maybe it was on like a compilation tape or something. But uh, actually, you know what? I think I do know where I have seen that. There was a one of the most earliest rock DVDs when when they first went on. Remember, there was like a rock one. It was like the the rock, the great one. <laughs> I, I know the one you're talking about. It's kind of a brownish cover. Yes. I never I never watched it. that must have been been where i've seen it because i can't think for the life of me where else i've seen it but anyway we'll move on it's funny you talk about um the rock being a made man so far yeah it is true they really strapped the rocker to him but when you get to the intro video stone cold steve austin is still very much the guy in the company because the entire video package is all about his match the buried alive match with uh, the undertaker it's actually a pretty cool video too Yeah, another biblical, you know, spooky intro from the WWE. Continuing the theme of 1998, we've had a few of these and they all kind of connect. I think it's Freddie Blassie doing the voiceover again. Very Mm -hmm. theatrical, very dramatic. And even though this one was shorter than the other ones, it was still absolutely blows away the WCW videos. One shot in the video that I love too, it's one of the most iconic from the Attitude Era, We see the crucifixion from Raw with the Undertaker posing in front of the quote-unquote symbol and Austin on it is amazing. I love that. What what an amazing shot. Yeah, it is crazy too. And it's funny because like that takes you straight back. Like the the WWE, I've found that re-watching the WWF pay-per-views has really like, it's so easy to transport back to that time as well. So uh, interestingly enough, what I thought was pretty cool was Glover presents rock bottom in your house. <laughs> Glover was just one of the, it was a weird time for video games back then. Glover was an N64 game where you play as a glove. <laughs> You're just a glove in the era of like anything can be a platform game. Like any yeah. mascot, we're like, we'll make it work. It's a glove, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this is like this is way before Spyro the Dragon and all that. We were going into gloves. Do you remember the one? <laughs> is it a Mega Drive game, um, Ristar or something? Just the yeah, guy that's pl- a star or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and you can like throw <laughs> your arms. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we could go down an entirely <laughs> dif- uh, different route with that one because that that game, it's it's one of those games that polarizes um, whether Japanese 
like basically anyone that it's because you know how all everything is split into two territories we're going down a rabbit hole here mm. but um everything's always united states and everyone else yeah everyone everyone calls it ristar like except in the u.s it's ristar oh there you go i actually didn't know how to pronounce it i've only read it you know on the cover when renting the game yeah so anytime you mention like you watch a video on youtube where they're talking about it ristar 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 and just like and everyone's like no no it's pronounced ristar guys and, not, yeah. and then they get really bite up about that but anyway there you go. we'll move what on because Comic zone that's a good game that's also a very good game too mm. all available on the um <laughs> that, the mega drive mini too yeah all there you go. pick it up oh you can get the sega mega drive ultimate collection on uh on xbox and playstation 3 um first off the big thing that is that absolutely jumps off the page once this pay-per-view starts is there is no jr it's michael cole and jerry lawler on commentary they reveal a little bit later on that jr is away because his mother passes away but uh, this is a break from norm in terms of the the lineup that was really the soundtrack of 98 See, you know what's weird about that? Of course, in 1998, it's all about JR and King. That is the sound of the Attitude Era. I'm so used to hearing Michael Cole on the WWE shows. Until they showed him on camera, I didn't even think twice that it sounded out of the ordinary. <laughs> I was like, of course, Michael Cole is welcoming me to rock bottom. Why wouldn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah, JR's not here. They, they explained that not only did his mother pass away, but he suffered another bout of Bell's palsy at Capital Carnage. Yeah. So crazy time for JR. He doesn't even take more than, what, a few months off. I think he's back at WrestleMania. Yep. Yeah. In fact, they make a big song and dance about him coming back at, at WrestleMania. Because I, I think, is that where um, he does his weird little thing with uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams? Uh, no, no. He... WrestleMania 15 is when they give up on that because everyone loved JR and he kind of turns face again and just takes his job back. Yeah, because I remember he he really berates Michael Cole. There's a yeah. there's an episode of Raw where it's like, you think you're gonna bet like he's gonna scare children. Yeah, and, and you're making fun of JR's boy. It's such a weird thing to watch in hindsight. But um The thing um, about let's... that is that oh, let's talk about it. Who knows if it will be on pay-per-view again. The thing yeah. I love about that is that Vince McMahon, throughout all of this, throughout the fake Razor and Diesel and throughout the Bell's palsy and the Dr. Death and trying to turn JR Hill, he always thinks the crowd is going to boo JR and hate him. Yeah. And it backfired on him twice. When he cut the promo about Razor and Diesel, they wanted to cheer JR when he said how dumb it was or whatever. And then with the Michael Cole stuff, they they took JR's side. The yeah. crowd never thought what Vince McMahon thought on this issue. <laughs> like, you're the one that's wrong, Vince. We like JR. We don't think he looks weird. We don't think he sounds weird, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now, JR in 2022 in AEW, that's a different story. <laughs> Give me more JR. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler are in commentary. We get to our first match, which is Val Venus and the Godfather taking on D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry with pretty mean sisters now we've got a very very excited bunch of women in the crowd that seem to love uh, val venus during his entrance just before he cuts his promo um it's it's your usual val venus fair like it's incredible like you know now in 2022 with the eyes of how the world has changed it's easy to sort of go can't believe they did that if you look back at that time 
how everything was, it's very easy to see how they did that. Yeah, absolutely. It's 1998. Come on, South Park, Limp Biscuit. It's all about being a bit crazy for whatever reason in pop culture. Jerry what Springer. A, yeah. Jerry Springer. What a strange and amazing time to be a <laughs> uh, an 11-year-old. There you go, or whatever I was. Can I just say, <laughs> the thing that made me laugh about this is that The Godfather has become a pimp so quickly and has gotten over so quickly as a face and the, the crowd loves his promo and he's so full of charisma. But prior to this, he had been Papa Shango, Kummer the Supreme Fighting Machine, then Kummer in the Nation, just this stoic, oh, I'm yeah. serious and spooky or I've got tattoos and I know mixed martial arts. In an instant, he showed the other side of personality and got over. And I want to know, are there any other serious wrestlers who, if they were given the chance, this could have happened to? Like, not that he's boring, like I'm a fan of his, but let's say Carrion Cross or something. Is there yep. another side of him if they just let him drop all the, the serious stuff, you know? Or so, just someone like Wade Barrett back in the day, or just someone who was always serious, like just change it. So if Carrion Cross comes out and all of a sudden he does, he like channels Black Machismo and drops the serious gimmick and just becomes like a parody of Jesse Ventura. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. But just the fact that they took the risk with, you know, Charles Wright and we got the Godfather, it's got to be other people out there. Yeah. The, one of the best parts of the Godfather's entrance when he comes out with, uh, with the ladies is Michael Cole says, the Godfather hasn't one or two women, but four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's not going to so... pick on Michael Cole too much on this show because he becomes an excellent commentator, you know, through the years. But yeah, man, he was. There were times where he was a little bit rough, and it was definitely a learning process. Very much so. There's another uh, to give you an idea of how over the Godfather is. There's signs in the crowd: "Godfather, give us your hose," and "Pimpin' ain't easy." <laughs> so much of that, so quick. That's what I mean. Just in an instant, got everything over. <laughs> um, now King one thing that I did find that was good during the match King brings up that the Godfather D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry are all ex-Nation members which I thought was a pretty good uh, little throwback Michael Cole uh, and this will be my first and only thing that I will say about his commentary because otherwise we can be here forever he sounds very much like the commentary in Smackdown <laughs> Just Bring It <laughs> on PlayStation 2 <laughs> Um, now, I actually thought too. D'Lo Brown is fired up. <laughs> yeah. Great move there from the Mark Henry, <laughs> the world's strongest man. <laughs> um, Michael Cole, uh, I, I do feel for the guy because he's at, he has to replace JR on like the last pay per view of the year, of the hottest year. Yeah. And if you and if there was anyone that could be used as a scapegoat in that weird world of wrestling, be like, oh, it's because of Cole, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, yeah, I was actually surprised just how much D'Lo Brown had heat. Like, the crowd hated him. It's kind of weird. I feel like there have been some crowds who get into D'Lo and some of them who are just all over him. There were massive D'Lo sucks chance. Mm -hmm. He was milking it. D'Lo is fantastic in this match. The, the match is fine. It's not great. They keep the action kind of moving. Um, yeah. It's just kind of a whatever opener. It's just weird. And then, then you've got Jackie and Terry, so PMS, with D'Lo and D'Lo and Mark Henry, I don't remember yep. them being a team for long. I don't think they were because I remember I... them with Ivory for a while, but I don't remember them with Terry and Jackie. And anyway, the ending were you confused by it as well? So Jackie yeah. Dax Valvinus and then Mark mm -hmm. Henry wins. 
But Jerry Lawler thinks that they're two of the hoes. Yeah. Or they came out with Godfather and Val Venus. King I think was Jerry... King didn't know what happened in the ending. I'm pretty sure that Jerry Lawler didn't have enough blood going to any parts of his brain. <laughs> but um, but basically, so the entire premise is like Jackie and um Jackie and Terry get into a bit of a strop with the hose. Um, who I should point out, I'm not saying they're derogatory, that's what they were like. That's how they were referred, they didn't have names, they... they were just collective, their collective noun was the hose. To the point that they're actually a, there is a, a, a hidden character out of the four costumes, like it just says ho, uh, with ho one, ho two, ho three, and ho four in WWF No Mercy. But <laughs> yeah, so basically they get into a big old strop, the Godfather goes out the ring, he's distracted trying to cause order. Like you said, Jackie comes in, pulls down Val Venus's pants, so you mm. see his 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 ass in a G string. Mm. He gets the world's strongest uh, the world's strongest slam. No, it's a, it's a big splash, isn't it? Just a big splash, yeah, yeah, big splash by Mark Henry gets the win, and that's about it. So it just seems chaotic, and just a reason to, I guess, uh, are we saying that is this is this mean that uh, that uh, PMS are heels? Yeah, they don't like the porn star and the pimp. Yeah. That so feels like of... their crusade. They were against any of that, I think. That is true. That is true. Yeah, I think that was the case. Yeah. Because hmm. they would always come out and ruin like bikini things. It's like the, the, the entire premise of them being heels for that era was they don't want to be treated like objects. <laughs> but then as we'll see in... Uh... Oh, wow. It's a whole year away. I was going to say the Royal Rumble, but that's the Royal Rumble 2000 when mm. they're both part of the bikini contest. Yeah. So is Mae Young. So that's something to look forward <laughs> to in a year. Um, next up, we get Doc Hendricks at the Superstar line. It is a very, very green Triple H here at the moment. Uh, and he does a little promo talking up the New Age Outlaws. It's funny that everyone sort of forgets the transition that that weird sort of transition that Triple H had, because it's always just like, oh, he was in DX, then he became the game. Mm. You know? Well, the uh, other it, weird thing about over, this was, yeah. though, like Triple H, we've praised him before for being good on the mic, especially once he dropped the the blue blood kind of gimmick. This promo was terrible, though. It's awful. Where was the charisma and the personality? This is just, he's so serious here and adds nothing. And wooden to it's almost like yeah. those little intros at the start of WWF Attitude before the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and and China's just standing there, just she doing nothing, nothing. So yeah. mm. uh, next up, we see a recap from Sunday Night Heat where Mankind attacks The Rock in the in a corporate box. There, it's quite cool because I forgot how much angle, how much like right up till the pay per view, they were like doing a build for it with Sunday Night Heat. Yeah, it was good to see that action there. It's not a bad little segment of them brawling in the skybox, kind of shades of the kind of matches they would have, you know, the I Quit match and then the empty arena halftime heat match. Mm -hmm. These guys have great chemistry, you know. We, we know that, and we're going to be in a run of a few months of Mankind and The Rock. The only thing I didn't like about the build to this match was the stipulation, something about a contract, and yeah. if The Rock's injured, he loses the title. But if why the Rock would you do forfeits, that? yeah, yeah. If the Rock forfeits, he loses the belt. But putting that stipulation on a heel feels weird because shouldn't be the face, the face be the valiant champion who you know carries on. I don't know. The whole thing was just a bit off. 
their their yep. storyline would obviously get way better in like two weeks time on January mm. 4. So the the Rock, Vince and Shane are then backstage talking about the Rock's ribs. Basically, you're um the Rock's concerned because like because of the stipulation, like you mentioned, like you know, and Vince and Shane are like, don't worry, we, we've got this, we'll take care of it. Uh, which leads us to our next match, which is the Headbangers versus the Oddities. The Oddities theme is not the ICP one, so they've got generic music come over the top here. South Park is absolutely at its zenith here, so you can you can see that the WWE are trying to coast off their popularity just a little bit. Yeah, not only that, not only is South Park, you know, one of the most popular shows in the world, it's a phenomenon here in 1998. You know who obviously wasn't a fan of South Park at the time, or maybe not yet, but Michael Cole. I know he said we weren't going to pick on it. <laughs> but he says, so So um, the oddities come out with a giant Cartman doll, the plush mm-hmm. toy that was very popular at the time. Anyway, Luna from the oddities is carrying Cartman on the outside. At one point, the camera cuts to her, and Michael Cole, in his best WWF SmackDown commentary voice, says, look at Luna. Holding Cartman. <laughs> said it like it was two words. And then I thought, ah, maybe it was just a slip up. I won't write that down yet. And then later on, he said, everybody loves Cartman. It's not yeah. Cartman. It's not like do the Bartman. It's Cartman. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, did you, do you remember that, that uh, around this time where there was all those weird um, WWF wrestlers as South Park characters? Uh, that was on the internet yeah yeah whatever those websites were where yeah that was like the best thing ever you know yeah, they'd you'd all have be kane... squashed like look like a south park character you'd have kane like looking or, no, kane looking like kenny because he had the mask on and it was just it's a weird time isn't it but this match is just absolutely boring it is <laughs> i i've put down this would be a shit match on raw this would be a shit match on jacked or velocity yeah, yeah. this was not good <laughs> I will say I, the crowd were all doing the oddities wave. They were kind of mm-hmm. into them. But once the match started, and we've said the headbangers have had plenty of good matches, like surprisingly good matches on pay-per-view. This sure wasn't one of them. Uh, I thought Jerry Lawler had a great line though. So Kurgan is wearing just, you know, tie dye and a weird jacket and a weird hat. And his outfit is just ridiculous. Yep. King said Kurgan, uh, based on his outfit, looks like an unmade bed. And I thought that is <laughs> such a good line for someone with a crap outfit. That I'm 100% stealing that line. That was great. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was a boring match. Um, I actually didn't even write down who got the win here. The, headbangers, the, got the headbangers got the win. Yeah, there you I go. I missed the ending and I saw when they were about to cut backstage because I blanked out and I just wrote the headbangers win, not much of a show so far. Yeah. It is not a good start. It's really not a good start to this pay-per-view here. Um, we then get to a WWF.com spot. Kevin Kelly and Dr. Tom Pritchard talk about the Buried Alive match, and uh, they show footage of Austin looking at the mound of dirt before the Buried Alive match. i got to say this. No matter what ridiculous concept that you threw at Austin, be it a Buried Alive match, um, Hell in a Cell, anything, he always took it so seriously, Like, and not in the Bret Hart seriously sort of thing. But as a competitor, I loved him checking out the mound of dirt uh, in the empty arena. It just, I don't know, it added something extra to it. Yeah, it's similar to when we saw him in the first blood match with Kane. Even though it's such a silly stipulation with this fantastical opponent, 
he treats it like it's real. Like what would yeah. Steve Austin do if this was a real situation? You know, he's checking the mound, you know, measuring the dirt. Like Steve Austin is everything is real to this <laughs> character. It's amazing. This, this segment Dad. though, Kevin Kelly and Tom Pritchard, don't put these guys on commentary. There was oh. just not a lot happening here. Both, Did you both ever... very talented people, but this was not not good. Did you ever have the uh, the phone line for long enough to watch or listen to an episode of Bite This back in the day? No, never. Just I, like highlights. I did, and it was. It's probably when you think about it, it was WWF.com was probably one of the earliest podcasts because yeah. you because I because I was fully suckered into the whole. Um, uh, who was the higher power thing back in the day where, where I would actually go on the WWF.com chat and talk about it. But yeah, it was, it's a weird little kayfabe sort of thing. And you could see that how ahead of their time they, they were back then, which means it clearly wasn't Vince's idea. <laughs> uh, next up, we have got uh, Vince McMahon backstage with the Stooges. There's really not that much to talk about in this one. Um, and then we get on to a recap of Owen Hart versus Steve Blackman, the feud. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Cause it's the first appearance we see of the blue blazer and Owen's kind of transitioning into the, you know, into the fort, into the background as a main player in, in this era. Yeah. It, it's a really weird seeing the clips of the blue blazer, knowing that, oh no, now we're, now we're near the end. That really yeah. sucks, and I think it's going to be a, a weird few months to watch the Owen Hart matches. To be fair, though, he gets a bit of a another career resurgence. Owen Hart was all, always good at whatever they put him in. That's what we're learning here. Him mm -hmm. and Jeff Jarrett, I thought, were a great tag team. I love them as a team. Their characters fit together. It was a lot of fun, you know, these two veterans uh, getting together, having really good matches. And I don't mind Owen Hart being in this kind of world still. We've seen him associated yeah. with Ken Shamrock and Dan Seven and now Steve Blackman. Like, they're, they're at least trying to give Owen that, that he's like the hard ass. You know, sure, yeah. he, he used to be the pretty boy Hart and, you know, was a bit of a coward or whatever, but now he can mix it up with these guys. Uh, obviously, it would have been great to see where he would have gone further with that that part of the character, but Yeah. He gets a massive ovation when he comes out to Owen Hart um, taking on Steve Blackman. The, part of the storyline is he breaks Dan Seven's neck and retired, but he comes out of retirement for this match against Steve Blackman. This is also where they're trying to establish that Owen Hart is not the Blue Blazer because in the lead up to this, we see Owen and the Blue Blazer in as separate commodities. We also see Owen being attacked by the Blue Blazer, who turns out to be Steve Blackman. So it's one a real, it's actually a really good story when you think about it, considering it's got Steve Blackman in it. <laughs> yeah, all those segments looked really fun. Some of Owen Hart's facial expressions, like when he sees the Blue Blazer, whether mm. it's helping him or attacking him is great. It all looked fun. And you mentioned Owen Hart get, gets a huge pop. They're in Canada. Canada so, yeah. you know, one of the hearts in Canada, it's going to be huge. They treat Owen like a superstar. And I got to say, I know it, the weird thing was they started it months ago, but it felt like it caught on later. The whole thing about calling Owen Hart a nugget, there are mm. so many nugget signs in the crowd <laughs> of people doing it in a positive way. They're like, I'm a nugget. Or yeah. my favorite one was the lethal nugget, Owen Hart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
This also got there's also a little bit of a, of a hangover from his days in the Heart Foundation because you get a big US sucks chant towards uh, Steve Blackman. Mm-hmm. I've got to say too, you forget how good Owen Hart was as a wrestler because like his Enziguri was textbook. Like his flying elbow, fantastic, but, and the crowd is just absolutely bonkers for Owen Hart. Did you find it interesting too? Because this is that sort of era where they where obviously the the Bret Hart um, fiasco. It's just over a year old from his exit. But when Michael Cole sort of lists the achievements that Owen Hart has, like, you know, he's a former European champion, former uh, intercontinental champion, tag team champion, never mentioned who he was tag team champions with, and never mentions the faction that he used to be in as well. Yeah, it's true. They, they were still playing it safe and they were like, oh, you know, Owen Hart, he really knows the sharpshooter. You know, he he was taught that. He knows how to escape it. He knows how to do it, yeah. yeah so. they, they went away to avoid any specifics. You're right. Owen Hart, everything was textbook. His spinning heel kick as well. Everything looks picture perfect. He does his best to get a pretty good match out of Steve Blackman. Aside from the the ending, because yeah. it ends up with... And look, and I know Owen was the, the face to the crowd... But to the people watching at home, he's still a heel. He's the heel. So they yeah. can't give Owen the heroic win. He escapes the sharpshooter, and then he just takes a count out. He just walks back to the back just to get the crowd to boo him a bit. It's not a bad mm. match. The ending is a little bit deflating. It is. And even then, the crowd still doesn't want to boo. They sort of boo like, if anything, Steve Blackman, once his music hits, he gets like almost booed out the building. Oh, they hate Steve Blackman here. It was like <laughs> a breakdown in your house where the crowd just hated Ken Shamrock for some reason. These these fans at the time really wanted nothing to do with this serious mixed martial arts type wrestling. Yeah, yeah like to hell with that. We don't want that. But um, we then see an ad for the Royal Rumble, which is January 24th. Just to put it into context... Sold out, WCW sold out in 99 is January the 17th. So we're seeing very, very close competing pay-per-views here from uh, WWF and WCW. Next up, it's Vince looking for mankind in one of the most bizarre running tropes through the pay-per-view. Yeah, Vince McMahon finds mankind's office, which isn't a boiler room, which is what you would think. It's Hmm. just a, a staircase like you know, like a broom cupboard kind yeah, of thing. Like yeah, like a broom cupboard under the stairs. So anyway, he goes and sits with mankind. We don't really hear much. It's just kind of that for the first one. But Vince actually getting in, like he sort of ducks under and he sits down, and it's just it's fully weird seeing him in there. But um, uh, next up it is the Job Squad versus the Brood, and it's Al Snow, Bob Holly, and Scorpio. I I could tell you right now, I I. I've never even remembered this match existing. If you told me that Bob Holly, Al Snow, and a two cold Scorpio were in a six man against the Brood, I'd be like, uh, "Okay, good." <laughs> yeah, probably happened on heat, you know. Yeah. Now, um, what I did find funny though, did you? F- and I know we keep having a couple of goes at Michael Cole, but this one's really Jerry Lawler. Did you find how how amusing amusing it was that King kept? prompting Cole to talk about the JRisms, like the gothic lifestyle and the viscous red liquid that Gangrel was drinking. There is one point where, yeah, where Cole says, oh, they're drinking that red liquid. And King right away says, you mean that viscous red liquid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's almost like King's trying to break Cole. He's like, 
Talk about this gothic lifestyle that they <laughs> these guys were on about. There was another great line from King where they're discussing Bob Holly's new haircut. And mm-hmm. his new haircut is the haircut you all picture Bob Holly with. He's now got <laughs> the short bleach blonde hair as opposed to the terrible mullet. Mm-hmm. But King says, that's not a hair do, that's a hair don't. Another <laughs> great, just, just, you know, old timey line. So might have to steal that one too. Did you find it funny too how, so this match is just, it is what it is. Like if, in case you haven't got through the the theme of the pay-per-view so far, there's a lot of matches that just seem like cast-off matches on Heat or Raw that should never be on pay-per-view. They, but... What did they do? Did they watch Starcade and they thought, oh, is that all you've got for your biggest <laughs> show ever? Well, we're phoning this one in. Because, wow, they're not even trying here. And the thing about this match, they're in Canada, so the crowd is hot for only certain things. They go mental for the job squad's entrance. They love head. They all mm. chant head. There's so many the mannequins. People, yeah, they've yeah. all got the mannequins. The second this match starts, they don't make a sound. No, they sit on their hands. It's crazy. To the point where Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler talk about the blue meanie. And uh, they mention briefly how he's from ECW. And then spend the majority of the rest of that conversation talking about the Beatles, which then leads them to talking about Paul McCartney, which then leads them to talking about wings. Oh, I love this bit of commentary. I'm glad you brought up. I didn't make note of it. But when Jerry Lawler is having a go at the Blue Meanie and talking about, you know, the Beatles, McCartney, wings, Yellow Submarine, everything, he's like, oh, you know, what about you, Cole? Are you into the Beatles? And Cole says, oh, no, they're before my time. I'm into the new stuff. And you know what? King, without missing a beat, he says, like what? What are you into? And Cole (laughs) has nothing. All he says is, oh, you know, King, I'm into the new stuff. And that's it. Name a band, Cole. Name any band. It is just such, like, this is why I reckon that King is just, he's not pleased. He has to be (laughs) on the desk with Michael Cole. Um, Look. It, it, it there's not really too much to write home about this match. There's a cool little bit towards the end where Edge breaks up a pin attempt from two Cole Scorpio uh, on Christian. Then he almost does a poetry in motion on Gangrel's back to the outside where he takes out Bob Holly and Al Snow. From that, that leads to an unprettier on Scorpio by Christian to get the win. The unprettier still doesn't have a name here at the moment. Uh, and it probably, if you go by the stories that have been said, Matt Hardy's the one that gives it the name The Unprettier. It won't have uh, a name for ages. Yeah. So we're at least, we're more than a year away from getting that. Until then, it's just, wow, look at that move. <laughs> you know, yeah. That devastating yeah. maneuver. Which is, which if you notice too, Michael Cole says that a lot. And I'm not going to be too harsh on him because this is like, what, two years after he's a war correspondent for CBS? Hmm. Can I just say also in this match, it's a good example of at the time why I think, for me anyway, why I think the crowd's reactions were better to certain things. They react to characters, they react to the storyline, they get into the match if the match is good. But at one point, Two Gold Scorpio, who is amazing in a lot of ways, he Still going hits, to this day. Yeah. He hits a moonsault leg drop, which is amazing. He does it to literally no sound from the crowd. Because yeah. Who cares if you did a cool move? Yeah, we don't know who you are, mate. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're just a dude. Yeah, Would you flash funk? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we need more than that. And it also goes to show you too, like, 
you've got Edge and Christian in this match. Now, knowing what we know about Edge and Christian's careers and how they turned out to be, to get a zero reaction in Canada for Edge and Christian yeah. just goes to show you how important them actually fledging out characters are. Um, but yeah, like I said, the unprettier on Scorpio gets the win. Leads us to our next segment, which is uh, Mankind and Vince meeting in the little understairs closet. It is what it is. <laughs> That's it. Nothing to this one either. All right, next up. This is where I reckon the paper sort of gets into another gear because next up, it is a strip tease match. That's right. Between Jeff Jarrett and Goldust. Now, basically what happens is if Goldust wins... Deborah, who is now with Jeff Jarrett, has to strip. If Jeff Jarrett wins, it's Goldust. So there you go. Uh, the, now, the crowd seems firmly behind Goldust over uh, Jeff Jarrett, and for obvious reasons. Interesting, too. I love that these both of these men are now active wrestlers in AEW. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is weird to think that this match could still happen. And hey, Deborah's still out there. We don't know. She might be up for the stipulation. Who knows? <laughs> Can I just say, talk about the crowd waking back up compared to the last match. They are so into this. The second it's announced, they go nuts for Goldust. When the match starts, they are well into it because it's got stakes. You know, mm. we're here to see some nudity. Uh, there's even a sign in the crowd. And you know, it's 1998 where they don't even confiscate a sign. It just says, I came to see some titty. That's yeah. It. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so this is it's actually a pretty good match. This is why I, I think Jeff Jarrett doesn't get his flowers because no matter what match he was in, people cared. As in, like they cared. To, he gets heat. He gets heat. You can't he's, deny that. He's also like we mentioned with his match with Triple H last month. He's one of the best, like just straight up in the ring of executing things. To me, he's a little bit like Randy Orton. In yeah. that everything he does looks basically perfect. You know, you want a drop kick, Jeff Jarrett does the best one. Yeah, shot, uh, figure four, whatever is the best one. It, like every move he does, suplexes are perfect. Everything's perfect. There He's are also no one holes the, in yeah. Jeff Jarrett's game, basically. He's also one of the few people, too, that when he panders to the crowd, they really bite oh, back. They hate him so much. <laughs> I, I, gotta say, I, I know we keep going on Michael Cole. I feel like <laughs> this has become a bit, even though I said we weren't going to talk about him. But King says he's glad he kept his bath bag from the plane just in case gold dust strips. And Michael Cole gives the absolute most vintage Michael Cole, oh my, in history. <laughs> I reckon it might have been the first real oh my. <laughs> it's so good. And you forget, yeah, like you said, we, I know we, we did say we were going, but come on, he's so green here. He should not have been put in this position. That's I, all I we can look, say. That He's only 30 years old. He turned 30 December 1998. To be in the spot of JR and King, there is no other commentator in rest, like big time wrestling at the time his age. Or his experience yeah. level, so credit to him. But yeah, it's yeah, just so fun. He, he's definitely uh, swimming with the sharks here. Um, <laughs> next, uh, well, no, we've got to keep this match. Actually, goes quite. Well. It's, yeah. it's a, a decent technical match here too. But like you said, the stakes are what really up it. There's a part where um, Goldust hits the curtain call, but Deborah has the ref distracted, so he doesn't get the win. And Goldust. You forget, like now that he sort of like shed the the flamboyant, like his his questionable lifestyle, alternative choices. lifestyle, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever that was, and he's just a good wrestler that just happens to be wearing a full body suit. 
He's so good. I'd argue that he's even better than Dustin Rhodes at this point in time, the natural. I, I really like any time Goldust is a face. I really mm. like that. Like I know people love oh, the old school Goldust, and he was great at it. But Goldust here, when he's allowed to be even more charismatic and, you know, tease the shattered dreams and, you know, go for all his big moves. Yeah, the crowd loves him. And he's so yeah. good here at playing to them, similar to Jeff Jarrett, of course. Once the near falls start, because of the stakes, the crowd buys every one of them. There was even one, I actually thought it was over, when Goldust hits the Shattered Dreams, Deborah hits Goldust with a guitar, you know, there's so much going on and the crowd is buying all of it. Like, it was a great Attitude Era type ending. Yeah, so let's talk about that before, because that's basically the finish. So Goldust hits the Shattered Dreams, but he does it with such force that Jeff Jarrett sort of slumps out, out of the ring and slinks out. Yeah, that's right. And he kicks him out of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> and the ref is out as well because Goldust doing the Shattered Dreams always ends in a disqualification. So the Shattered Dreams is done. Jeff Jarrett is basically perfectly plays his role, falls out of the ring. As Goldust is about to, you know, like, all right, well, I'll get Jeff Jarrett back into the ring. Deborah comes in with the guitar in one of the stiffest guitar shots you will ever see. Jarrett then get, gets back in, hits the stroke, which I don't think has a name. I swear it's not the stroke until he goes to WCW. Yeah, it, that's you, you're absolutely spot on there because he always used the figure four in mm. um in WWF. But yeah, gets the win and there you go. However, post-match, Commissioner Shawn Michaels comes out. Now, let's remember this too. Commissioner Shawn Michaels is a heel. It's also the first time we see him on pay-per-view since WrestleMania um, 14. So it's a kind of a big moment. But he comes out to say that because of the interference by Deborah, Goldust is actually the winner. So Deborah has to, and I quote, stop the grinning and lose her linen. <laughs> Shawn Michaels was fantastic here. Because, yeah, like you said, he was meant to be a heel yet here. He's the corporate commissioner. He's aligned with you know, all the bad guys, but no, nah, in this segment, he's just classic HBK and he's so good here. He's taking out money to, <laughs> you know, tip Deborah, like put it in her bra. He's having oh. fun with it. He talks about the official rule book and, you know, it's all good. I also, I neglected to mention too, before he does all this, he sends Jeff Jarrett to the back. It's like, good work, kid. <laughs> Off you go yeah, to get yeah. the showers. It's so <laughs> because... good. And the thing I love about the logic of the WWE at the time, so Deborah doesn't want to strip, but the second yep. that cheesy stripper music starts and the crowd is cheering, well, she can't help it. It's just what women do. Like it's so dumb. She's warmed up to it. She really <laughs> warms up to it because one minute, like one minute, she's dressed in like a little um, power suit. Like no, no. Next minute, she's just like derobing left, right, and center. Unfortunately, in 2022, it really does kind of tell you a lot about Vince McMahon, where <laughs> no does. means no, but what if I keep pushing anyway? <laughs> and, and not only that, too, <laughs> one of my favorite things, and like I sort of said, the biggest heel movies, I love that it cuts to the back where Jeff Jarrett's watching on a monitor. And he's shattered. He's got his hands on his head like, no. My favorite part about that, did you look to the top left of that shot where you can see the whole roster, including The Rock, watching the <laughs> monitor as well? <laughs> so, 
It's so good. Uh, so everyone, the crowd is absolutely loving life, but then the blue blazer comes out and cloaks Deborah with his cape just as she's about to take it all off. <laughs> is an actual thing that happened on pay-per-view in 1998. To be fair, this is absolutely the best segment of the show so far. Yep, yep. The match and, and the post-match is all good. <laughs> it's just so amazing. Um, so then next up, um, we got Vince leaving Mankind's office, and which then segues into a hilarious commercial for WWF, uh, the WWF Cologne, which confused the hell out of me at first when I saw the full ad. Mm, WWF Attitude, the Cologne, and it's like a what do they call it? Like that spoken word slam poetry or whatever type yeah, thing, like yeah. the jazz spoken word thing with two guys and i had to look this up because i was so confused by this commercial i knew the cologne existed anyway these guys are called george and adam and they were like a running thing in wwf ads at the time like they were two super nerd marks or whatever and they did one for the royal rumble 97 where they're backstage and they find yoko zuna's boots or something so anyway so for this they dressed them up as these you know beatnik hipsters to do a cologne ad just just weird WWE marketing from the time, which is great. It was so strange, but um but it worked because and that's it, because it the minute I was like, oh man, like at Cologne, that would have been must buy uh back then. Um next up it is the New Age Outlaws versus Ken Shamrock and Boss Man. The corporation is officially sort of a thing at the moment. Still gotta say the outlaws are mega over even in Canada. Ken Shamrock is the Intercontinental Champion at the time. The big boss man is the hardcore champion. And HBK uh, is back wearing a giant suit, which you forget was the style at the time. I I just want to say this about HBK. Similar to what I've said about Scott Hall for the past couple of months in WCW, I hated it as a kid and I still hate it watching it back as an adult. Going against the grain just for the sake of it or just to like, oh, we're going to throw off what you expect. Scott Hall not being in the Wolfpack and mm. Shawn Michaels not being in DX the whole time while he was commissioner is just so Stupid. annoying. Like it's yeah. just, and you can tell HBK, we saw him in that last segment, Deborah, it was so fun letting him be, you know, normal Shawn Michaels. Even during the entrance here, he's giving fans high fives. Yeah. And, and anyway, they would turn him face in like within a month from this point anyway. So yeah, but he's but you're right. He's still got currency, uh, even though he's not an active wrestler at the moment. Um, it, it's not a bad it's not a bad match here. Uh, but like it's what I was thinking was this time next year. So if we fast forward twelve months, the big boss man is getting a title shot at Armageddon '99. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? If yeah, um, if, if you said which of these four guys will wrestle for the world title, you know, in a year's time. You wouldn't, why would anyone be like, oh, boss man? Boss man, clearly, yeah. (laughs) Um, did you find it amusing talking about my, um, talking about, I know we keep doing this, but Michael Cole, his outrage that HBK has sold out after, and I quote, years of being a free thinker. (laughs) I I didn't pick up on that. That's great. Um, I I did find it funny though. Talking HBK is really the star of this match because his interaction with like the outlaws, specifically Billy Gunn, is phenomenal. Yeah, where he keeps threatening to fire Billy Gunn and you know mm. shake Bossman's nightstick at Billy Gunn. They <laughs> had some fun interactions. Like that's kind of a feud that never happened. That I think 
you know, in 1998, if it ever could have in 1999, would have been a lot of fun. Oh, it would have been great. Um, did you happen to notice the giant sign in the crowd that sort of walked past that just said breasts? <laughs> no, that guy was a match too late. <laughs> It was huge. It was a massive sign that literally they've just sort of walked through the concourse like this. I missed it. I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> I was sitting there watching uh, with Steph and I'm just like, every time I watch one of these Attitude Era pay-per-views and Steph's in the room, it's, I'm just always like, hey, it was a different time. <laughs> look, when we were 12, it made sense. You know? It made sense back then. But um, look, this match pretty much follows the same, the stock standard formula of uh, most Outlaws matches where Road Dogg's the man in peril and um, and Billy Gunn's waiting for the hot tag. Now, going to the towards the ending, HBK pulls out the ref and, uh, and then Boss Man takes out the Outlaws with the nightstick and then Billy Gunn gets the pin and then post-match, they use the nightstick like a penis. <laughs> As you, see, you like, would. <laughs> like like Billy Gunn gets the nightstick, yeah, and then just starts sort of gesturing with it as the as DX would. Can I just say for that ending though, that was the highlight of the match for me. Mm. HBK drags out the referee from his leg to the outside of the ring. He's holding um, who was it? It was Tim White. He's holding Tim White, Tim, yeah. Tim White with his right hand by the collar, and with his left hand he throws the nightstick to Boss Man. But he almost does it in like one motion. Very slick stuff from hbk he could do it all you know it, it was it was very reminiscent of the rock sort of intercepting it kind of it was like picture perfect there if we're but, talking um, you know nightstick greats in wrestling it's boss man for twirling it the rock for catching it and Shawn and michaels for throwing it <laughs> Shawn michaels for the simultaneous uh assault the referee and peg that to <laughs> boss a bit man of sleight of hand like he could have pickpocketed someone you know <laughs> yeah yeah if anything i'm gonna rank that the first because like that was a tremendous yeah, bit of uh, subterfuge there um next up i did find this pretty cool you get yourself a free wwf attitude bandana if you mail in your cable bill to the address on the screen, you get the free bandana. That's very cool. I forgot about that. Remember that used to be a regular thing on the pay-per-views. Mm. It was like, send in your bill and we'll give you a drink bottle or, you know. Yeah. It was always, <laughs> stocks may not last. I used to always think, uh, they're never going to send anyone anything. They'll always just be like, well, we're out of stock. Sorry about that. It does say, while well, stocks last. You know what this is for, though, right? I think... Um, uh, Pritchard has explained this on something to wrestle with. Hmm. So this was their sneaky way of building a mailing list. Because if, oh. you your, if you send them your bill, like obviously they don't know your address if you order the pay-per-view. You know, it goes yeah. through the cable provider. But if you send your bill, they've now got your address. That. Dealing that. your data the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Vince. Vince, you crafty SOB. <laughs> there are call centers in india that just need to send out more bandanas <laughs> that's all i'm saying um next up uh, as we lead towards the rock versus mankind we get a fantastic recap of how the rock became the corporate champ with a recap of survivor series as well and um this is one of those things go back and listen to our survivor series episode um because it, it truly is. It's like Vince Russo's masterpiece. Yeah. That's the peak of his powers there. Um, Vince explains to The Rock that he has got his back. Next up, it leads to the match. Did you notice Mankind's new theme slightly remixed? Yeah, I'm glad they didn't settle on this. It's like a weird electronic hip-hop beat 
added to his, you know, 96, 97 Mankind slow music. Absolutely terrible. It is flat for the crowd. They can't get into it. We're only about a month and a bit away from the real classic Mick Foley yep. music that he would use, you know, throughout the rest yeah. of the career. The Jim Johnson wreck, as it was titled. So but um, um, we get a Vince promo and Mick promo. And is this Mick Foley's first mention of testicular fortitude? Possibly. I feel like this was the era where he really brought it up when he was talking about The Rock. So, yeah. Yeah. And and to Mick's credit, this actually got a, ver- a very big smile and chuckle from uh, my partner, Steph, who was watching at the time with me. Like, she just couldn't believe that he'd actually said testicular fortitude. It's great. I thought it was just a real saying after hearing Mick Foley say it. Like, I used it all the time. Oh, man. Yeah, 100%. Back then, between that and doing crotch chops, that's all people <laughs> were doing. Uh, it was only until um, Vince in 2002 dropped the line, genetic jackhammer, oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that this wasn't replaced. But um, I did love, like, Mick has the crowd eating out of his hand. It's such a good promo. And like, for something that's so boring, because they're talking about a contract for crying out loud. I've got to say, Mick, I, I kind yeah. of blanked out. Like, I know Mick Foley carries it with his charisma. But in terms of the specifics, what on earth were they talking about? So essentially, they want to get rid of the clause of. Uh, hang on, that, yeah, it makes no sense. So Mick <laughs> agrees. This is the thing because Mick agrees to removing the clause that if The Rock can't participate, then then he gets the title. Which, being the face, he shouldn't care anyway. But there's nothing promised to him. It's not like. He's already getting the title shot. Like, there's nothing in it for him. He's getting the title either way. I don't know. Anyway, so, look, the match does get a little bit confusing. It spills to the outside very, very early. There's some uh, work with the stair. Then Vince interrupts to put the rule that uh, if if mankind does anything on the outside, he will be disqualified. Um, There's a tiny ECW champ, and The Rock uh, tosses mankind to the floor, and then... There's another cool bit where the rock jumps on commentary, but it's a real hodgepodge sort of match, isn't it? Look, their match at Survivor Series, the main event was really good. That was entertaining. Um, We know what's going to come with the I Quit match. They're going to wrestle again at St. Valentine's Day Massacre. They're going to wrestle on Raw in the, you know, the title change on January 4. This match is the dud of the series. Am I crazy or was this not very good? That, yeah, and the also rock on commentary was probably the highlight. And also, uh, also Michael Cole saying Survivor Series last month was the biggest double cross in WWE history. <laughs> I love that revisionist history that he's trying to, that clearly he's listening to Vince, who's right next to him, I should point out too. Well, I, I have I have remembered what the, the whole contract thing was. Mankind would agree to remove the clause in the contract that says the rock will lose the title if he's too injured. If Vince admits that he screwed him at survivor series last year, okay. not last year at last, last month. month, but that still makes no sense. <laughs> no, that really doesn't. Uh, so yeah, mankind um, gets the mankind. Uh, Paul drives the ref, uh, which is a weird bit, then takes out the timekeeper. Uh, then Shane, knocks out the rock with the WWF title. Tim White then kicks out at two. Oh, what have I written down here? This makes no <laughs> sense. Not Tim White kicks out at two. What have I got what have I done here? Hmm. 
you might have to take it from me, Simon, because this must be where I've just had one of my like, like completely forget the outsiders had a match. And so all I had was that Vince tries. Um, no, that's right. This was pretty fun. So Vince tries saying it was a DQ for a leg drop to the nuts from Mick Foley, but before the ref can ring the bell. Mick Foley just pile drives the ref. There you go. Yeah. Which should be a DQ anyway. So anyway, the crowd gets into it at this point, though. The crowd is into the shenanigans and some near falls. There's a people's elbow. Anyway, Mick Foley then puts Mr. Socko on the rock and the rock passes out. So you would think it's a title change, but the crowd doesn't react like they would for a title change. They're no. kind of flat. They go to hand Foley the belt, but Vince takes the belt and again, just heal dumb logic. He says the rock never gave up or tapped out. He passed out. Therefore, yep. it doesn't count. And the rock is still the champion. Yep. Then we get a uh, Socko to Vince, a Socko to Shane. Briscoe and Patterson get it too. And then Boss Man and Shamrock come out and they just beat up Mick Foley. And that's the end of it. Yeah, it's a strange ending. Uh, Vince really does know how to get there. It's only when Vince mentions that this isn't a title change. Yeah. That's when the crowd start to care because you're right. They're very much like a, oh, is that it? Because the rock, it doesn't even get like, I'm guessing if you were in the crowd, it would just look like the rock was just, I don't know. Like he doesn't tap. He doesn't do anything. He just yeah, sort for of some reason, wilts away. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say after watching the ending, I know at the start of the show, we said the rock looks like a megastar with his great cold opening and it's all about him. If we were, you know, really hardcore fans back in 98, watching wrestling the way maybe modern fans do now, would we complain that the WWE is burying The Rock? I'd say we were. Because... I'd say that, yeah. yeah. Capital Carnage, he's not in the main event, but he's champion. Uh, Rock Bottom, the show's named after him, but he's not in the main event, even though he's champion. Mm -hmm. The Royal Rumble, he's technically not in the main event. The Royal Rumble is... Uh, Valentine's Day Massacre, he's not in the main not event. Not in the main event. And then at WrestleMania, when he is in the main event, he loses the belt. Yeah. You're burying The Rock. Ugh, he loses every match as champion. He passes yeah. out. Ugh, these endings are all screwy. You're never going to make him a big star. Well, you know, like, it now, works out if... in the end. But yeah, I feel like modern fans would have shit on this title run. And I can, I can actually completely 100% back you up with evidence that they would because you look at how they were acting when CM Punk became world champion. Yeah. Oh, he's not in the main event. Oh, he's like, you know, oh, it's Jericho and uh, Sean and um, Shawn Michaels that they're focusing on. Like, that's exactly what happened when CM Punk won his first world championship. Yeah. And we all know the backlash might probably doesn't, probably helps too that, uh, you know, Punk is. Well, we all know what punk's like, but we'll move on to the next uh, little, the main event. It's a video package for Austin versus Ta uh, versus Taker. The crucifixion on the symbol is still so great. <laughs> oh, this video package was amazing. Like the fact that WCW just never caught up. And honestly, prove me wrong. Show me one AEW video that's as good as this one from 1998. They do these weird 20-second videos and oh, that yeah, don't yeah. even explain anything to you. If you were a fan who've never watched uh, Austin and The Undertaker, this video package explains so much and shows you so much craziness that you're like, oh, wow, okay, I get it. Mm. This guy's crucified him. And then he tried embalming him. 
And then for oh. revenge, he threw his manager down the sewer. <laughs> down the sewer. He, with his brother. <laughs> with his brother. And then he smashed him with a shovel. Like, this is how you do a feud. <laughs> and going on that too, like we've, we, we're pretty switched on fans. Like We try to keep our finger on the pulse. I have been, we've both been, uh, like, you know, set aside the three days that we need to watch an AEW pay-per-view, where we've been watching and going, hang on, when did this match get played? Who signed up to this? <laughs> so, to be honest, like, I know, I don't want to go back to it, but the best feud AEW's ever had, you know, drew the most money, biggest thing they've ever done was hmm. um, uh, CM Punk and MJF had yeah. amazing segments, amazing program, uh, you know, all this cool stuff they did on TV. At the pay-per-view, if you only ordered the pay-per-view, the video package went for 30 seconds. You would yeah. be like, oh, oh, they feuding. Okay, cool, I guess. Mm. Cool, show me the match. And you'd only probably be like, oh, I don't know, who's this dude that Punk's taken on with the scarf? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could that, that would have been the best video package ever back in this era if they had that to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to 1998, though, we have got... Uh, so, Taker makes his... This is peak Attitude Era Taker, I always find. Like, we mentioned this before, but this is the Taker that we remember before the American Badass. Um, Austin gets straight into it. I love when he just starts fighting without even taking off the vest. It's brilliant. He's in control for the, for the moment. The bell starts ringing. It's all to the outside. The fight gets... It's, it's, it's just um, chaos. Absolute chaos, which was sort of the blueprint of Austin's uh, main events at this point in time. Yeah, this was a classic uh, Austin pay-per-view main event from the era. I'm not saying this match was a classic. These guys have no. had better matches on pay-per-view than this one. Uh, the Buried Alive match from 96 with Taker and Mankind absolutely blows this one out of the water. I love yep. that match. kind of an underrated uh, cult classic. This match... And and also oh. Austin Austin versus um Taker at SummerSlam just completely just is a different stratosphere to this match. Yeah, and we just saw that a few months ago and we're going to get Taker and Austin a few more times and they have a really good one. I forget which pay-per-view it is. I think mm. it's like an, a First Blood or an I Quit. They have another really good one. This one though, I know what they're trying to do. There's not much you can do with a buried alive. You have to fight in the ring and then you've got to fight at the grave and then you've got to make an excuse as to why you're not getting buried. It's just kind of, yeah, I don't know. This was just kind of there for me. It, it was a bit like that because it, it's kind of garbage in the way that they're going. Now, Taker, fo Taker falls into the uh, the grave first, then he gets out, and then it's a brawl when Taker then puts Austin in, in there into the into the grave. Then Taker shovels a bit of dirt on Stone Cold, but that's not enough to obviously put him out. Then Austin stuns Taker into the grave and then goes to the back, gets the wheelbarrow and puts it on there there's so much going on when austin disappears for a bit then this is where the match sort of actually goes into its sort of crescendo because a huge explosion happens from the grave taker's not in it he's he's there like i don't know wily coyote style with a shovel waiting to ambush austin in one of the stupidest things because if the I t i'll tell you i don't know about you maybe it's just me but if Cole and King didn't explain like what he's doing, it just looked like he was taking five. Like, <laughs> yeah. So Undertaker crawls out of the dirt and goes kind of behind a wall of dirt and he's holding the shovel. And yeah, unless they told you, oh, he's lying in wait for Austin. Yeah. It literally just looks like 
he forgot what was happening and needed yeah, a Yeah, and breather. he's just relaxing for a bit, like, yeah, you know what, I'll just take a bit. <laughs> the explosion in the gravesite sort of happens, which shocks everyone. And then out of the gravesite comes Kane. Um, Kane then tombstones take it into the grave, and as Austin brings out a bulldozer. Oh, and, no, it's not uh, a bulldozer. I got to correct oh, sorry, you there. The, the backhaul. I had no idea. We're going back to Michael Cole. Did you know what on earth he was saying? I, I, well, I've written down backhaul, bulldozer, and then <laughs> tractor. Like what? He calls I, I thought, see, you thought it was backhaul. I thought he was saying backo, and then he said it again. And then I thought, was he saying backhoe? Yeah, I googled it. I googled backhoe. I didn't know what mm. was going to come up, but it mm. was. It's a backhoe. Also oh, known go. as a rear actor or a back actor, not a there tractor. It's a backer. A backer. <laughs> it's go. not a hoe. It's a backhoe. Anyway, what's this is funny too because I didn't mention it during the uh, the boss man match, but he refers to the boss man, uh, boss man's nightstick as a baton, a nightstick, and then as as a tr- uh, something else as well. But I can't remember what it was. But anyway, Taker's buried alive. Austin then pours a cold one out on Taker, and we just. End the pay-per-view there. Good night. Oh, not no, look, you're skipping over the absolute excruciating secondhand embarrassment of Steve Austin having to come out with the backhoe. And this is the one vehicle that Steve Austin didn't get to control. He's mm. out there telling the backhoe driver or the backhoe backhoe operator. or operator. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he has to tell him how to fill up the dirt and where to put it. And the guy goes to scrape up some dirt with his like little shovel thing and he can't pick up enough dirt. And you can hear Steve Austin like, oh, God damn it. Come on, pick up the dirt. God, God damn. And, and then Austin just gives up and pushes over a wheelbarrow full of dirt and then like pathetically shovels with the shovel, just extra bits of dirt. And I think the ref just calls it like, whatever. We can't wait for the backhoe guy to figure yeah. this out. Yeah, it is just literally like, come on, let's just, we're done. <laughs> we <are laughs> let's done. wrap yeah. up the year. <laughs> and thus ends Rock Bottom. Uh, out with a whimper, not with a bang, but uh, let's go through the pay for you. I mean, would you, MVP? I don't even, you know what? Shawn Michaels for making yes. the striptease segment as good as it can possibly be. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to. I was going to say. Um, I was going to actually going to say the Rock for that. Just the cold open at the start. Great promo. Because yeah, because it's because everything else is just basically a bit part. There's a reason why no one ever talks about this pay per view and says, "Oh, you need to like you know hunt down this." There's not even a hidden gem on here. Nothing. There's not a great main event that makes up for the bad show like we've seen sometimes. There isn't a hidden gem. There's not. Oh man, you know you get to see this great undercard match years mm. before it becomes a main event. There is nothing on this. You know what? The standout, though, they're in Canada. All of the great signs that I've said so far that we saw, there are a yep. few others, and I made note of them because they were the most entertaining thing. There was a sign that said, Kayfabe the Marks. That guy's <laughs> ahead of his time. He knows, you know, he's cool. <laughs> uh, then there was another one that said, Don't sell the people's elbow. I thought that was funny. <laughs> and then there were two signs, two separate guys. One of them said, bring back Sid. And the other mm-hmm. said, bring back Ahmed now. Like, demanding Ahmed. <laughs> demanding. 
Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's still all pales in comparison to one of my favorite signs of the Attitude Era, which was rock fears paper. <laughs> yeah, that's that might be the sign of the era. Yeah, but look, that wraps up, unfortunately, WWF <laughs> in 1998. We've got to say, though, it has been like they have done 12 solid pay-per-views out of 13 that yeah. they've done that year. You're right, because we counted Capital Carnage. Uh, look, there were still 12 great pay-per-views for the WWE. If we're talking about the uh, MVP for 98 for the WWE, it's without question Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yep. There is no one else even close to him. Yeah. This is his year. So similar to 1996, 98 is one of the years that I can tell you the main event of every pay-per-view without looking. Like I'll run it through, through, I'll basically run through the year in chronological order for the main events. It's just because it's all based on one guy you know pretty much steve austin 98 was his year i think we picked him as the mvp for 97 as well i don't know he kills it and the good part about the 98 you do have the arcs you've got like the austin to get the title where he sort of feuds with dx and all that sort of stuff the arcs between um him and mcfoley dude love yeah, him and McFoley, where McFoley's sort of the corporate champion. The arcs between Kane and The Undertaker with just The Undertaker. It's just, mm. he is, he's woven through the entire year so well. But uh, look, that wraps up 1998 of Reliving the War. It's been an absolute uh, thrill to sort of watch the WWF side. And in a weird car crash way, it's been interesting to watch the WCW one to see how quickly the wheels fall off as well I know what a comeback in perception and everything to watch it all again chronologically to just see how the tables turn so dramatically it's fantastic and now now it's not even close yeah so if you think that gap's going to get any uh if the WCW have a comeback story well, we got sold out 99 as our next episode so that'll be an interesting one but uh, that about wraps up another edition of reliving the war and we will see you for sold out 99 this has been another presentation from the gray wolf entertainment network graywolfentertainment.net